Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I didn't know what was happening to me because I wasn't kidnapped. I wasn't, you know bonded or put in shackles or put with uh, handcuffs. I wasn't um, what they call a snatch and grab, kind of. There was no creepy white van. Welcome to Red Flags, your one-stop shop for all things true crime. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. I'm Tori Telfer, a true crime writer. And I am Karina Michelle. On this episode, we will be talking about human trafficking and learning from survivor Victoria Rowland, who you just heard from. Amazing. But Karina, before we get into that, we have not one, but two big pieces of true crime news. Oh, it's my dream. So this first piece of news just came out, and this is very big. Remember last week how you assigned yourself some serial killer movies? Yes. And you watched Zodiac? Yes, that one was my favorite. Yes, great movie. So you may recall that there were some ciphers that the Zodiac killer sent the press. There were four total, and only one had been solved. It was solved, uh, I believe, in the 60s by a California couple, just like a regular couple solved it. That's cute. I, when I yeah. watched the movie, I wrote down, <laughs> buy some more puzzles or something, because I think it would really help. Your day may come, Karina, but as of this month, the news just broke, the second of the Zodiac's four ciphers was cracked, and the FBI has confirmed it. This is huge. I know. It was cracked by these citizen cipher breakers. Um, three men, their names are David Oranchek from Virginia. Sam Blake from Australia, and Jarl Van Eyck from Belgium. And the three of them worked together to crack this code. And they, I'm not even going to pretend I understand how they did it, but there was a, like a computer program that they used. They were trying different combinations of things to crack it. And the program eventually spit out 
some words, including the phrase gas chamber and the phrase trying to catch me. When they saw that this specific cipher breaker like program had turned up those words, they knew they were onto something because those are obviously very serial killer-esque phrases. Yeah. So it's very they, on brand. It's very on brand for Zodiac. So they cracked it, they sent it to the FBI, and the FBI has confirmed that it's been solved. Would you like to hear? Yes, I was waiting for message? you to say what it says. <laughs> okay. Okay, so I'm getting this from the New York Times. The cipher is called the 340 cipher because it's 340 characters. And it was mailed to the San Francisco Chronicle in November 1969. So 51 years later, here's what it says. I hope you're not hearing me say this in a dark room because it's very creepy. It reads, I hope you are having lots of fun and trying to catch me. That wasn't me on the TV show, which brings up a point about me. I am not afraid of the gas chamber because it will send me to paradise all the sooner because I now have enough slaves to work for me where everyone else has nothing when they reach paradise. So they are afraid of death. I am not afraid because I know that my new life is life will be an easy one in paradise death. Comments? Questions? It's just like I thought <laughs> Are you dying it would fear? make. No, I thought it would make more sense once deciphered. Mm. But I still feel like I'm looking at the hieroglyphics like, I'm sorry, what? The slaves <laughs> paradise. I'm very lost. Mm-hmm. Well, so this is very Zodiac ease. In his other cipher, he mentions these similar ideas of like making slaves for himself in the afterlife. Mm hmm. In the remaining two ciphers, who knows what he says, um, but I wouldn't be surprised if he sticks to these similar themes. To me, it does make sense, but, you know, kind of the way like a madman can make sense. Yeah. Do you think that in any of his letters he reveals his identity? I would be shocked. I mean, he went to so much effort to conceal it. And actually, that brings up a point about this cipher. So the cipher that the California couple cracked in the 60s. Mm-hmm. People think that Zodiac was frustrated by how easily it was cracked. Mm -hmm. And so this one, the 340 cipher, was a lot harder. The 1960s one that was cracked read left to right, like normal text. He learned from his mistakes, I guess. And he clearly went back to the drawing board and educated himself more on ciphers and produced a more difficult one. So because of that, I can't imagine that he then put his identity in a future cipher, unless he was so convinced that no one would ever crack them. So if you get your puzzles, you know, let me know if you feel like you've become one step closer to Zodiac cipher cracker. Yeah. So, okay, let's move on from Zodiac as hard as it is. The other piece of news, Karina, Mm -hmm. the alleged con queen of Hollywood, has been arrested. Were you following this case at all? I wasn't, but I really love the title. Right? Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like, you you can call me the con queen of Hollywood anytime. Like, that's fine. So the con queen of Hollywood, people have been wondering who she is for quite some time now. Basically, these, you know, dreamers in L.A., want to be filmmakers, makeup artists, etc., people who are hoping for their big break, would get a call from a high-up female executive at some big Hollywood studio. And this executive would say, like, We're working on this film in Indonesia. We've got the funding on lock. Will you fly out? And like, we'd love for you to be part of it. Mm -hmm. So naturally, they're like, this is my moment. This is my big break. 
they'd fly out to Indonesia and they would get all these weird requests like, oh, we need this really expensive car service. Like, could you actually just pay for it and like, we'll pay you back? You know, that kind of sort of typical con thing of like, just put it on your credit card. Just pay for this, pay for this, pay for this, because we definitely have funding and you'll be reimbursed. Yeah. And the funding would never come. The movies didn't exist. And people would lose, you know, one victim lost $70,000. Not to mention totally crushed dreams of Hollywood fame. Mm -hmm. So, Karina, would you like to know who the con queen of Hollywood is? Yes. Okay. I'm slightly disappointed to report that the alleged con queen of Hollywood is a 41-year-old man named Hargobind Tahil Ramani, who was arrested on November 26 in Manchester, England. Um, he's kind of like has a long history of unusual crimey type things or crime adjacent things like, mm-hmm. I mean, this is not a crime, but he had a food influencer Instagram account that seemed to be kind of faked. Like he would use an American accent on it. He would post pictures of food, but also like get in online feuds with chefs and say that he had pancreatic cancer. And talk about a sex life, oh. which is a little bit more than I need from my food <laughs> <Yeah>. influencers. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So that's the con queen of Hollywood. And we're definitely going to be following this case, like, you know, the trial and stuff closely. Um, I'm like deeply laughing because something like this happened to me. So I'm like, oh, no. it sounds so dumb now. Oh, but at no. the moment, yeah. What happened? This was a couple years ago. I was looking for a job. This was me fresh out of college. And I found this job online. It was basically going to be like an online assistant, which was perfect. Like I I just wanted something to do. I wasn't really looking for a full full full-time job. Red flags should have been going off because my interview was through text message. (laughs) So that should have been the first (laughs) red flag. But in my mind, me being... Just me. I was like, wow, this is so modern. Mm. And <laughs> and then afterwards, they sent me an email and they were like, you got the job, but we need you to buy these supplies that you're going to oh. need. So it was basically yeah. like you are going to need like paper and everything sounded normal, but yeah. I still had a weird gut feeling. Mm-hmm. And my mom called me. And she was like, did you buy the supplies? And I was like, no, something feels weird. And she was like, oh, you need to be more responsible. And I was like, I don't know. I have a weird feeling. So I get a text and they're basically like, so we want to run this promotion. And if you could buy like iTunes gift cards and we'll just pay you back. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, no, like this is a total scam. Craigslist is crawling with scammers. I yeah. once shamefully wrote a short screenplay for someone who I then realized is <laughs> both a scammer and like a horrific misogynist. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we didn't get famous together. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, 
you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. Spring is officially in bloom here in the Northern Hemisphere. And with a fresh season underway, you might be seeking your own transformation. For some, that means a new approach to weight loss or nutrition. Noom has a unique approach. Noom is tailored to each person's psychology and biology. It's built to meet you where you are because Noom understands that no two people are the same. Noom stands out to me because it offers a holistic approach to well-being. From coaching to recipes, Noom's app provides personalized information to help you on your journey. I also think it's great that Noom doesn't restrict what you can eat, and it doesn't shame you for treating yourself. And treat yourself you should. What's more, Noom believes in nourishing rather than restricting. Noom can help you lose weight while still enjoying your favorite foods, because this approach is about eating well and treating your body right. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your free trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. So, Karina, it's month 10 zillion and one of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. We've all developed our own weird coping mechanisms to get through this. And you were telling me about one of yours earlier, which is one I have I have not heard anyone use this yet. Can you tell our listeners about it? Yes. So something that I've been doing during the pandemic to take up time is that I've been attending anti-human trafficking webinars. Mm. How did you even get started on this journey? So when I was in high school, I went to a private Catholic school and the nuns, one of their philanthropy was an anti-human trafficking nonprofit. And they would oftentimes visit our school and talk to us on human trafficking. Mm -hmm. So ever since then, I've been interested in the topic, but a little bit terrified of it. Mm -hmm. And so with the pandemic, I think it's a topic that a lot of people have been talking about on social media. There's even been a few news articles. And I thought that it would be a good time to revisit it and try to learn as much as I can. And so I signed up to a bunch of free webinars on them. While the rest of us were making our sourdough starter, <laughs> baking our banana bread, and purchasing sewing machines, you were attending webinars on human trafficking? Yes, I was attending anti-human <laughs> trafficking webinars. Well, I was going to ask you, was it effective? But I feel like you're going to answer that <laughs> throughout this whole episode. <laughs> they were effective. I needed a breather after every single one. Okay, so Karina, I, before we get into all of this, how would you define human trafficking? Okay, so I'm going to be using this definition from Polaris Project. And Polaris is a nonprofit that is dedicated to human trafficking. So they define human trafficking of the business of stealing freedom for profit. In some cases, mm. traffickers trick, defraud, or physically force victims into selling sex. But it's not just sexual exploitation. Oh. It can be labor work, 
okay. it could also be organ trafficking. Ooh. And these are the most common ways that mm-hmm. it's seen, but there's also different forms of human trafficking. So here in the United States, labor work is also another one that is common because, for example, it could be someone who is in the United States illegally and their boss finds out and says, if you don't work these amount of hours, if you don't do what I'm going to say, I'm going to report you and you're going to be deported. That's a form of human trafficking because you're tying this person, you're not letting them be free, and you're gaining profit from them being overworked. Okay. So it's really a form of modern-day slavery. Yes. That's the best way to describe it. Okay. So, Tori, in addition to the webinars, I have also been listening to this podcast called Unseen the Traffic Truth, which is hosted by Victoria Rowland. She's actually a survivor of human trafficking, and she uses the podcast to share the story of other survivors and their journey through recovery. Oh, wow. I am Victoria Rowland, and I am a survivor, but a potentially a person who was able to get away. Mm. And I like to say that right away because human trafficking is so scary that we hear a lot from survivors that were able to get out of the life or, you know, prevail from other circumstances. But I actually was able to escape mm-hmm. being potentially taken into a sex trafficking um, situation. Um, My podcast is called Unseen, The Trafficked Truth. And it's unseen because one, people literally aren't able to identify signs or, Mm -hmm. you know, be able to really see that this is happening right before their eyes, under their noses. And when I give voices to those that, you know, the whole voiceless, unheard, you know, unseen, it really, to me, brings on the awareness that has been lacking mm-hmm. in not just education, but in true crime, literally. If it makes you comfortable, would it be okay if we dig a little deeper on your journey and kind of what happened to you and how you were victimized into human trafficking? Yes, I actually would love the opportunity because you bringing me on here is is allowing me to be more free of the um, what they what what people see as bondage and chains and locked up. Like I just feel so much of a better person um, talking now about this, and my story matters. So I can't again tell you as a person of color, as a woman, Mm -hmm. as a member, and I'm going to put this out there too, of the LGBTQ community, I feel so empowered. A friend from college who was from Philadelphia actually hit me up on MySpace and said, damn, Victoria, all those nice things that you're doing, that's great. I actually have a gig for you in Philadelphia. Boxing is really big. Uh, during this time and we're looking for boxing ring girls kind of super easy gig I was like oh yeah I could do that I work with a lot of models and casting here in Miami and I love that I am a female Mm -hmm. and I can actually be in charge of these jobs and you know ring girls don't really need that much specifics except for comfortability wearing a bikini and all so I was actually excited you know they were going to get me on a red eye chart you know pay for everything I was all set to go like two weeks later, and I really trusted this person. Mm-hmm. Number two red flag is that 
I think I've trusted this person too much to the mm-hmm. fact that I was oblivious to everything else. When he said, you know, that I, how much I was going to be able to get paid that day, he will be in charge of all of the financial matters, we're securing the location, um, mm-hmm. getting all the materials that I need, which would be the, you know, the audition, I guess, paper, pencil, you know, room for me to stay um, and for the girls to change or whatever else was needed. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, sure. You know, not thinking. I get on the flight and he's not there to pick me up, Karina. Mm. He's not there to pick me up. Additional red flag. Yeah. Was that something that felt wrong to you at the moment? Or is it something that looking back you thought of and you realized? It is more of the looking back. And I realized because he told me he was going to be able to pick me up from the airport, but I understand Philadelphia airports and, you know, I lived in Miami, so I was able to like take taxi cabs and do all those things with public transportation that wasn't a big deal. So it wasn't really essentially a warning sign or like, hey, you know, get scared now. So I, you know, I hail a cab and I'm like, hey, mister, you know, I'm going to this location. Is this like a hotel or is it a motel or like, what is this? He's like, oh yeah, it's a hotel. It's, you know, next to other on the same strip. Mm-hmm. It's not like a motel. Well, I get in the taxi cab and, you know, my instincts kick in and I'm still trying to call him. He's not answering. That was actually the last text. So he's not texting any longer. So we pull into the front of the hotel and I remember it not being like a rinky dink motel or anything like that or hotel. We pull around, it's like a circle, and three men are coming out of the hotel to greet me. Mm -hmm. And from that point, everything just happens too fast. One guy who's really tall, and um, all three were African-American. I can't tell you the looks on their faces, like the the way that their faces were. Mm -hmm. But one guy pays a taxi cab, another guy grabs my bag, and the third one's like ushering me into the hotel. And I could just feel them as I'm walking. They're like sizing me up. And I'm just like, okay, wow, I've never had this treatment before. Mm -hmm. My friend took very good care of me, and he is such a good planner. I was a little bit nervous that we changed locations. Like, whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. I I was going to say, I I think you were 23 at the time, right? Yes. I'm 25. So I I can relate to you in the extent of we try to justify everything. Like we don't want to think that there's something wrong, especially someone who we trust would never put us in a situation to harm us or for anything to happen. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Nothing looked extraordinary. Mm -hmm. If anything... You're right. I was thinking on the ladder, like, wow, this is very nice of him. Mm-hmm. So I'm ushering to go to the hotel room after she gives me the key card. And now there's all three of them again. The guy who had my bag originally, the guy coming with the who paid the taxi cab. And I remember walking up and I'm like, why are they behind me? And they were still sizing me up. You had that eerie feeling. And then I hear, oh, yeah, she is fine. So I'm like, okay, maybe my friend must have told him that I was uh, attractive and applying for the ring girl too or something. I don't Mm -hmm. know. I walk into the hotel room Mm -hmm. and there are two girls. One's African-American, one is Asian, look completely different in a way that they cannot be friends or hanging out. And that's just Mm -hmm. me, you know, and he comes in, closes the door. The one guy drops my bag. They exit, and I'm just standing there like, what the hell's going on? Are we all going out? And then I hear, so these ladies will get you, I don't know the exact words, they're going to get you squared away, and 
by the way, we're leaving for Vegas tomorrow morning. I know this is a very important point and that is terrifying, but did the other women, did they look around your age as well or did they look older? How did you feel when you first saw them? In my judgment at the moment, I didn't really look and see what kind of like, okay, maybe they could have been going to the club. Maybe they could have been around my age. However, as the night progressed, the Asian woman looked like aged through stress or trauma or something. Mm -hmm. They just weren't looking happy as if this was a job that they had to do. And girl, you better get it together. And the African-American girl, I, I really was taken back from her because her skin was so rough. It was ashy. It was, she was very skinny. Her shoes were falling off of her. Her dress was falling off of her, her hair. She had like a really bad wig. And it was just like, you're not ring girls. Mm -hmm. Absolutely not. And I think this is incredibly sad to hear about too, because it also showcases the trauma that they've been through. It's like, wow, like these women have been put through really difficult times. Yes. And I want to say at that point, I froze. And when a lot of people think like if they were in this situation, what would they do? I absolutely froze. I was just trying to gather myself, but I didn't freeze in the capacity where I wasn't still paying attention. Like you still have the ability to trust your gut instinct and look around and store information that you can use later. And when I turned around and I saw the girls, they they immediately said, please just do whatever we say so that we don't get hurt and you don't get hurt. Mm-hmm. So that was the ploy, I guess, to scare me to the point where I was shook. I was like, okay, I am going to listen to any and everything that they do. And I'm going to start piecing out stuff in my mind to get the hell out of here. Mm-hmm. And the next step was they showed me they did drugs. They sniffed something. They had clothes for me, which was just really weird. Mm-hmm. They had clothes for me. And I'm like, oh, I have my bag. Da, da, da. And they're like, oh, no, put that to the side. So they said, after we do this, so-and-so, I'm going to teach you everything you need to know. So we're going to go walk the streets of Philly. And I'm like, oh, my God, what is happening right now? Like, mm-hmm. so as I changed and as I was trying to ask them questions, they really weren't giving me any information. They were just talking about their lifestyle. So this is when they told me in their words that they were a prostitute. One was with him. That was their daddy for like 10 years. The other one was with him for seven years. They live in Vegas. Um, They have places in Philadelphia. This is not their first time. They were telling me how they had just did the same thing to another young lady the night before, but she got away. Mm -hmm. And when they told me she got away, that changed my entire perspective. I said, well, if she, she can get away, I know I can get away. Mm -hmm. I need to save myself. I need to gain some more power back to my life. And, you know, whatever it is, talk to the universe, pray on it, whatever I was going to do, it had to start, you know, it had to start now. So I asked her questions like, well, you know, can I ask how she got away? Like, how did you let her leave? Or, you know, trying to just kind of find out the situation and they fell for it at this time. They're, they're pretty much high or whatever, but they immediately said, please don't you try to escape. He will kill us or he will do so much more. So, so that kind of stuff was in the, in that perspective too. 
One thing that I learned is that even sometimes when victims are rescued or they escape, they don't understand what happened to them. They still think that they were prostitutes. They don't think that this was not a choice. Like the way that they are so manipulated and groomed and coerced is that deep in them, they think that this was a decision. Absolutely. I didn't know what was happening to me because I wasn't kidnapped. I wasn't bonded or put in shackles or put with uh, handcuffs. I wasn't um, what they call uh, snatch and grab, kind of. There was no creepy white van. These are all the things that we just really need to change the narrative. Um, because I'm like right now, I'm walking the streets of Philadelphia with two sex workers. And I want to say that I felt so bad for the sex workers that I was actually working with that night or walking with that night because their stories were just on one occasion we were walking and I was just trying to tell them like, please, I don't want to have to have a John. I don't want to perform a sex act. I'm like 23 years old. I'm not a virgin. Like I was just trying to plead with them in every way to avoid having to have a sexual act against, you know, pretty much assault. Right. That's what um, I say. Yeah. Um, and they're like, no, you have to, he has to make sure you're it, you know, you're okay with this and you know what you're doing and that, you know, it's something that they call now breaking in. They, they needed to break me in. So when we were talking and I got myself out of having to be uh, performing a sex act, they essentially called him and said, she's good to go. Daddy, she's good to go to Vegas in the morning. She is not in any trouble. She is going to do so much for us. And they were hyping me up to the T. When I even got back to the hotel room, they must have trusted this experience so much that my bag was there, still there, that had my phone in mm -hmm. it. And that's what I knew was going to be my saving grace. So I just knew one number of an ex-boyfriend. And I sat there and I prayed and I said, please, Lord. Talked to the universe. I did everything. I called on my ancestors. I did so many things. I said, please, if he answers this phone call and he's able to save me, you guys don't even know how much it felt when he answered the phone. And I said, listen, I'm here. I'm in danger. It's life or death. Please, you need to pick me up. And I remember the late, the girls in the room, they were so tired because they had, they had an eight. They told me that they didn't even um, take a breath since the night before where the girl escape they had to essentially redeem themselves mm -hmm. if i you know and i thought about them too i was like listen if i escape they're probably going to get beat to the point where it's their fault again or maybe they have to stay again and they have to do this to somebody else and i took it upon them to really really just like hey go to sleep i told you i got this you need time to sleep rest your feet whatever i remember grabbing a bag, running. And when I got out there, he was there. The car was running. He screamed and said, Victoria. And I jumped in the car. And I remember turning around and I saw the guys at the door screaming my name. And I was like, go, go. And I, we just scurried off, not looking back. Oh, my God. I can't imagine what you were feeling in that moment. I was I was horrified because I didn't know if they had people out in cars or they were going to start looking for us. It was just so bad. And my nerves were bad. And I just I just was in a space where, wow, I got away. Yeah. And I evaded so much that night. I evaded getting beat. I evaded getting raped. I evaded, you know, a lot of things, mm -hmm. essentially. I hope this is OK to ask. But how was the recuperation process after that like mentally and emotionally was that a long process or is that something that you suppressed and did and tried not to think about what happened thank you again for speaking those truths because I 
buried mm-hmm. it. It was like beyond suppressed. I act like it what didn't even happen. I like my podcast obviously came out this year. So that's 15 years later. It came out and 15 years it took for me to really tell my story. I had told my story here and there, um, but it took for me to see the the young ladies and males at the shelter ask me, like, why do you care about us so much? Why are you fighting this for us? Why are you here? Why do you believe us? Why do you love us? And I'm like, I've had a personal experience. And throughout the years through therapy, which is very important, and learning about it and me recognizing it, because I still didn't know what I what I just experienced. Mm-hmm. I will say that night and why it's important for my podcast to tell survivor stories of people of color and within members of the LGBTQ communities, as well as male survivors, because it's the, I think a lot of people still don't believe it exists there, um, let alone the story even mattering. I wish that we did have more people of color representing the awareness Mm -hmm. and leading organizations because even in the media, there's still that representation of the blonde hair, blue eye girl or, you know, the male child uh, pedophile rings are, you know, Caucasian little boys. Mm -hmm. And it's just like we have to change that narrative. You don't have to fit a mold. You can be old. You can be young, you can be black, you can be white. Victoria's story teaches us that human trafficking doesn't look one way, but it also highlights some of the myths that there are around it. And I really want to deep dive into what some of those are and debunk them. Yes, let's do it. So, Tori, the first myth that I want to talk about, and I think it's the biggest one, is that people become victims of human trafficking through kidnapping. Oh. Yeah. So this is a total myth. It's not really what happens. Um, Here in the United States, there are little to no cases where this is seen. When I found out the main way that people are trafficked, Mm -hmm. it made me extremely uncomfortable, but the main reasons are due to an intimate partner or due to a family member. Oh, so the boogeyman of the stranger snatching you off the street is not anywhere close to what's really happening. Right. So it's something that's more someone who, unfortunately, you know Mm. and you trust and who takes advantage of this. It can be with a husband who traffics his wife or even unfortunately you have situations where it's the parents trafficking their child and Mm. very disturbing yeah are these situations where someone's just evil and like wants to do it or is it like people get pushed into desperate situations and they need to make money so yeah so a lot of the times it is due and we'll talk about this later on in the episode because of the pandemic and people have lost jobs Mm. human trafficking has increased Oh. Mm-hmm. But yes, the main reason why this is happening is for monetary gain. So I'm seeing a parallel here between human trafficking and the things we get wrong about it and sort of the things we get wrong about other true crime topics like serial killing, where what we fear is like the stranger, you know, mm-hmm. the stranger snatching us from Target or the serial killer jumping out of the bushes, even just homicide in general. I think we have this idea that it mostly happens when a total stranger jumps out at us and grabs yeah. us. And 
I think that is not true. You know, a lot of crime, as we know, happens between people who know each other. Um, a lot of abuse, a lot of all, all these horrible things that we fear. And so, of course, we're scared of things happening to us. Like, that's understandable, human nature. But I wonder if that ends up blinding us to these systemic problems or to, um, well, to, to some of the facts that I'm sure you're about to tell me, like the real red flags. So that's actually another myth that I want to talk about is this idea that every single time someone is trafficked, they are moved out of the country or they're moved elsewhere. There are a lot of cases where someone doesn't even move from their small town. It happens domestically. They're not going anywhere. Like this is just their family members or their significant other, whoever it is, taking advantage of them where they live. Yeah. And I guess what I didn't realize, too, is like, you can be human trafficked without being physically restrained. Yeah. And that's something that I'm guessing is hard for the public to understand, like how you can move freely but still be a victim of human trafficking. I actually spoke to another human trafficking survivor, and Mm -hmm. the way that she was victimized, she was telling me that these traffickers will look up prison records and see (gasps) which women, yeah, which women are in there for drug possession and for prostitution. And they Mm. target them and they start sending them letters. And that's where- While they're in prison? While they're in prison. And they start this grooming process while they're in (sighs) there. So they start sending them money for commissary. They start promising all these things. Mm. And when the woman comes out, gets out of prison- They just kind of hop on a bus and go wherever this trafficker is. And something Mm -hmm. that she used to tell me was, people ask me all the time, why didn't you just leave? But I had nowhere to go. I didn't have a house. I didn't have a job. I was Uh. on parole. So there was so many limitations as to what jobs I could have, where I could live. And as awful as it sounds, when I was trafficked, someone was giving me a home. Someone was giving me food. Someone was taking mm-hmm. care of me where if I left, I had nothing. Mm. And that's the difficult thing about trafficking is that a lot of times police talk about how when they go on missions to rescue victims of human trafficking, that the victims a lot of times don't understand what's happening to them. And they don't even understand that they've been a victim of human trafficking. Oh because they're so attached to their trafficker and and so kind of brainwashed and, and just manipulated and coerced mm-hmm. to believe that this was a choice that they made. Yep. And it takes a while for them to get the help that they need to kind of go from victim to survivor and understand really what happened. That's actually something I've seen a lot in my research with con women is their victims often don't believe that they've been conned. I can totally see why you wouldn't want to admit that to yourself because then you your whole world comes crashing down and you have a lot that you suddenly have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Another myth, Tori, and I know you're going to be very passionate about this one. <laughs> the myth is that in these type of cases, vigilante justice really helps. Mm. And that is not true. Shocking. Vigilante justice seems to always be unhelpful. One of the examples that I think is being talked about the most lately is one involving an online retail store. Hmm. Tell me more. So basically they were uploading very high-priced items Mm -hmm. and their pricing just didn't make any sense. Can you give me an example? Yeah. So you would have, and I'm making this number up, but you would have, for example, a pillowcase that's worth like $100,000. Oh, okay. Reasonable. 
Yeah, so red flags started going mm-hmm. off mm-hmm. in people's minds. There's something wrong here. In addition to that, it turned out that the items that were high-priced, they also had the names of girls who people later connected to missing person cases. Okay, so like the Mary pillowcase or the Isabel pillowcase. Right. Which is a common way of naming things online. Yeah. Trendy. (laughs) But people got paranoid. So when people started to make the connection, this was obviously posted all over social media and people started to act on it. Hmm. Yeah, this seems like one of those conspiracy theories to me that people are using to make sense of the world. And it's ironic because it's a bizarre conspiracy theory that actually Mm -hmm. doesn't make a lot of sense. But I think things like this show us that people are scared. There's a lot of ambient fear around. I'm pretty sure I stole that word from academia. And something like this gives you something to latch on to. You know, if you're scared of the world and you're scared about the economy and you're scared of coronavirus, but then you're like, the Isabel pillowcase is a cipher that I'm going to solve and I'm going to be a hero. I think that gives people some meaning in a weird way. Anyway, that's my theory on conspiracy theories. Tell me what happened next. So what happened next is that people started flooding human trafficking hotlines. And these hotlines are mainly used for victims to call in and get the help that they need. And the issue was that because the lines were flooded, these victims couldn't get through. And so Polaris did have to issue a press release on it and a statement from them. And I'll read you a little bit about it. And they say the trafficking hotline connects victims and survivors of sex and labor trafficking to services and supports that allow them to get help and stay safe. The trafficking hotline is not a law enforcement agency, but does collaborate with law enforcement as appropriate. And it's really interesting because throughout the entire press release, they're like, we empathize with you. You're Thank you so much for wanting to do the right thing and mm-hmm. for trying to help us and for being so passionate about helping victims of human trafficking. And then they ended with, we strongly encourage everyone to learn more about what human trafficking really looks like. <laughs> and then they just link it, just basically being like, thank you so much. You have the right you're spirit, wrong. but you're wrong. <laughs> yeah, that's very polite of Polaris to say, but this is actually an enormously frustrating problem. So, Tori, there's this other piece of advice that End Slavery Tennessee offered, mm-hmm. and it might be a little bit controversial. Ooh. And it is to not post anything under the Save the Children hashtag. Okay. Tell me more about the Save the Children hashtag because I know that it's a pet peeve of yours. Yeah. And I support you in that, but I Thank don't know you. all the details. So Save the Children started on social media and people were using the hashtag to, quote unquote, spread awareness about human trafficking. And Mm -hmm. I think more specifically, child sexual exploitation. Okay. But a lot of the information that it shares is not correct. Mm. And I find issue with it. And the reason why I'm so passionate about my total dislike for them (laughs) is because I'm not a parent, but I am an anxious person, and (laughs) I can see how this hashtag would have been great for parents to learn Mm. more about how human trafficking actually works, ways to have conversations with your kids about it, 
and actual ways of keeping them safe instead mm-hmm. of there's nothing I can do. They're going to go into a store and get kidnapped. Mm-hmm. A lot of people also, they used it as an excuse to fight back COVID, weirdly enough. So oh, they were saying no. the real pandemic is not COVID. The real pandemic is human trafficking. What is it about COVID that people love to be like, <laughs> the real threat isn't COVID, it's X, Y, or Z. It's like... COVID is a threat and so is X and so is Y and so is right. Z. Do you understand how the world works? There are threats everywhere we look. That's why there's yeah. so many true crime podcasts. And there was this post that talked about how masks help traffickers take children. Okay, I saw something about that. I was just going to guess because you can't see who the trafficker is. So because you can't see who the child is. So a parent can walk into a store with a kid and someone in the store steals your child and puts a mask over them so you can't identify their face. No, I am a parent and I could recognize my baby in a mask. Like, it's (laughs) like (laughs) there's so many identify. I'm not going to be in Target and there's a kid with a mask being snatched from my arms. I'm like, well, gosh, that might be my kid. But I just don't know because their mouth is covered. Okay, so I want to talk a little bit, Tori, about ways that people can actually help. Yes. The first thing is, if you think that there's something wrong, absolutely call the police. We're not trying to say that because you think it's something, it's definitely not that. If Mm -hmm. something feels wrong, sounds wrong, looks wrong, Mm -hmm. it's probably wrong. But just don't call hotlines. Go directly to the police and call them. Mm. And hopefully we can add it to the show notes. Enslavery Tennessee shared a link that it's a website dedicated to parents wanting to talk to their children about these subjects. And it's very kid-friendly. They have videos and cartoons and things like that. Another thing that I think would make a huge difference is if teachers, counselors, hairdressers, and people who have these types of jobs, if they get educated on what human trafficking looks like. I think Uh teachers specifically, because a lot of these times it is a form of domestic violence. It is violence that happens in the home Mm -hmm. and that it's not really open and talked about. So I think if teachers are taught how to see the signs, this can also have a huge impact. And why hairdressers? Because I follow this hairdresser, and obviously with human trafficking, they try to have the victims look the best as possible. (gasps) So they do get their hair cut, they do get their hair done, and it's things like, for example, if a woman goes into the hairdresser to get her hair done and she doesn't talk, let's assume that the trafficker is a man. It's very possible that the traffickers could also be a woman, but let's Mm -hmm. just assume it's a man. This man just interjects and is like, you're going to do her hair like this, like that. And the girl is quiet the entire time. That's also really important. Yeah, so I attended another talk from the Coalition to End Sexual Exploitation, and it was called Conducting Offender-Focused Operations to Identify Victims of Human Trafficking. Karina, <laughs> did you see that link and you were just like, yes, signing up now? Yeah, that's that's <laughs> how my brain works. Um, I love it. And this talk was by Joseph Scaramucci. And he talked about how human trafficking is one of the only crimes where victims are treated as perpetrators. Oh, yeah, that's awful. And police, if they don't understand the difference between sex work and trafficking— They can treat the victim as if she was a sex worker and arrest her. 
and it can honestly be very traumatic for them and it's not very helpful at all. And it's also about creating a comfortable atmosphere where he feels like a lot of the times they put victims in such an uncomfortable situation, like they interrogate them in this very Mm. scary interrogation room where the light flickers, at least that's how I picture it, and they're being very like rough with them, where he thinks that they, the police force should get more educated on better ways to help victims to create Mm -hmm. a positive environment for them to be more open to talk about what is happening to them. Yeah, that sounds right. I want to take the time to thank Victoria Rowland so much for speaking to us and sharing her journey. It was really special for me to hear it, and and it really changed my perspective of a lot of things involving human trafficking. And if you want to learn more about Victoria, hear about her story, and hear about other survivors, make sure to check out the Unseen podcast, The Traffic Truth. Yes, please do. I know I'll be listening to it. Tori, as you know, I am a social media addict, and I post Mm -hmm. a bit too much on Instagram, but I love talking to people there, and I have gotten such incredible feedback on the podcast specifically yeah specifically on the episodes on missing and murdered indigenous women and the serial killer episodes oh yeah people are really interested guys yeah we really appreciate it it really does mean a lot so i have shared with everyone some ideas that i have gotten for future podcast episodes like femicides in different parts of the country and other topics in true crime that aren't talked about a lot. So if Mm -hmm. you have any suggestions for episodes, feel free to also mention them in the hotline. Yes, call us. We love hearing your voicemails. We've gotten some really fascinating ones so far. Leave us your thoughts, your questions, your comments, just no ciphers. We do not know how to crack them yet. Our hotline is 1-888-9-R-E-D-F-L-A. That's 1-888-973-3352. And we can't wait to hear from you. Thanks for listening. For more true crime conversations, be sure to check out ID on Twitter at Discovery ID or on Instagram and TikTok at Investigation Discovery. And you can ask us questions on our own Instagram feeds, too. I'm at Tori underscore underscore Telfer. And I am at the Karina Michelle. Thanks for listening today. Red Flags is a production of Investigation Discovery and Audiation. For ID, our executive producers are Jessica Lowther and Amy Angelowitz. For Audiation, our executive producers are Sandy Smallins and Michael Wolfson. Mark Lotto is our story editor. Ireland Meacham is our producer. And Brad Stratton is our editor-mixer. Theme music by Marty Beller. Audiation. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.